BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I think that the service industry in the city of Milwaukee is the maybe the number one reason why people choose to come to the city. I'd like to think it was us, that'd be cool, but it's not. We're very fortunate as a city to have a lot of incredible entrepreneurs who are out there breaking the rules and doing incredible things that inspire people to go out and use the city. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. Making Milwaukee a downtown destination. Over the past 17 years, the Pabst Theater Group has helped transform the entertainment scene in the city, and the two men leading that charge are CEO Gary Witt and COO Matt Berenger. We caught up with the pair in early November in the artist's green room at the Riverside Theater, with a sometimes noisy HVAC unit in the background, to discuss how the industry has changed and evolved, their own growth into an operation with four distinct venues and hundreds of shows each year, and some of their favorite moments from those shows with Jim Gaffigan, Boney Vare, George Carlin, and more. Plus, we'll have the Fox six-pack of questions with Real Milwaukee's Cassandra McShepard. But first, it's an open mic with Gary Witt and Matt Berenger. We are hanging out here in the uh, exclusive part of the Riverside Theater that many people who get to enjoy the shows here don't actually get to see. The Green Room with two of the men that bring all those incredible acts and performers to town. Gary Witt, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you for having us. I guess we're on your turf, so you're having us and Matt Berenger as well. Thank you. Thank you. So if you guys can tell us a little bit about just since uh, since we are starting here, there's great video games on the wall. There's, there's drinks for people here in the green room. What is this space like in the lead up to a concert and maybe afterwards as well? Well, I mean, I think what we the our backstage areas are like super important to us because they represent our opportunity to be able to define milwaukee for artists that come here because they go to a lot of cities in america and quite often because the business that matt and i are in is somewhat homogenized because it really is owned by larger uh, monopolies larger companies who kind of run it they don't necessarily have the same kind of passion or soul and identity of defining like little things like this backstage like backstage we have an amazing executive chef and Kevin Sloan, who's our executive chef who works backstage. We have an amazing pastry chef. Julie is like, she studied, you know, overseas, incredible pastry chef. So, uh, you know, having those things where artists can have food that way exceeds their expectations and experience that's relaxed and comfortable. Number one, it tells them that we're, that we're paying attention and that we care. And number two, um, they have a muscle memory of coming here and saying that this is a place where they have this experience. One of our secrets is that we have a barista from Colectivo at every one of our shows. Be- and why, you might ask, uh, it's because like Milwaukee is like a, I know it's known as a beer town, yeah. but it's really a coffee town. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Traveling across America in my prior existence, 
I've never found anyone as good as Coativo, what used to be known as Altera, but are now Coativo. Simply what they do, they're the best at what they do in America. And our ability to uh, offer that for artists backstage really sets the tone. Given that taste of Milwaukee, uh, Matt, I'll ask you, do you have a kind of a favorite moment during a concert, whether it's some downtime in the green room before or after, whether oh, it's seeing the like first song the go up? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I th- well, uh, for sure up here, you know, kind of echoing what Gary said, the dinners are a blast because you see people kind of unwinding and getting themselves, you know, sort of ready to go. And we had one artist in particular, I won't out, you know, the thought was, well, he's kind of high profile and he's going to stay on the bus, no biggie. So, you know, let's let some people enter the space. And not only did he come in and eat dinner, but he sat and played uh, Duke Ellington records on the turntable until just about two minutes of showtime is like stressing everybody out because it's like oh we got sponsors here and all that right. stuff and it's like so um i don't know i think that run-up though is a, and 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 that dinner time is really good communal communal time for a lot of people um and because you, you're entering into something that's really high pressure um you know you succeed really publicly you fail really publicly as an artist and um so I think experiencing that time where they're kind of getting in, in the mindset, but also unwinding, getting that pre, pre-show relaxation is yeah. a good time. Yeah. A way to kind of taste Milwaukee and separate a little bit, too, for the experience. Yeah, absolutely, also. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were chatting a little bit before we got recording here, but the holiday season, we're in it right now. Yeah. It snowed on Halloween, and now it's snowed again, and we're having Arctic temperatures in early November. But on the good side of the holidays, how has this kind of evolved and changed for you guys over the years to be uh, one of the busier times of the year for you? Over the years, the evolution of the entertainment business has moved more and more towards touring and away from necessarily the value or the revenue streams of recording for artists. So we find ourselves being the beneficiary as all uh, promoters and venues around America of having access to a lot of artists that tour. So, you know, in our world, while people may see us because they might come to an indie rock show as us being the indie rock guys or a classic rock show, you know, seeing us as the classic rock guys or, you know, whatever. I mean, the reality is, is that we do a lot of everything in our venues. So our goal is to fill calendar dates and to bring as much entertainment to the city as we can. So in the month of December, as an example, this year, we have 22 Riverside shows and a total of 77 shows at all of our venues during the month of December. So, and of that, I mean, a high percentage of those things are non-traditional shows i mean we're hosting chevy chase uh you know uh you know where he we host the screening of of uh national lampoon's uh christmas vacation you know we're doing harry potter we're doing four shows of harry potter so you add that to you know all the other shows that we're doing on top of that we just we're basically a representation hopefully of what people want to see and what they want to experience and we love the idea that you know, we began this back in 2002, and we love the idea that the city and entertainment and the desire for people to get together and be together and not just sit at home on their phones or watching flat screens, but to get out and actually experience life and see each other has grown so dramatically in the city of Milwaukee. Yeah. The way the the revenue streams, like you said, have shifted for artists is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious if that, I know it's such a competitive industry to book these acts and bring them to Milwaukee, but has that shifted the ball to your court at all, where they're seeking out tours and dates and things more so maybe than they used to be when they could put out a platinum album well, and make the money they need? You know, the royalties they're getting on something like Spotify is nothing like they were receiving for, you know, a record that would sell at you know, retail. Um 
and and so that that end of the business has dried up greatly. And so in in many ways, um, people on the live side, such as you know our group and others, have really benefited from uh, the fact that uh, artists do need to lean into touring more. They need to start looking more creatively at uh, how to. Uh, you know how to reach their audiences through touring as opposed to just recording and um i think i think that i, I mean ultimately all those things you talk about ancillary revenue streams and sorts of things it's going to be a push and pull um but right now i think what we're seeing is a lot of artists that are uh seeking to uh, create more premium experiences for the audience as well have uh you know some sort of special experience associated with the concert and i think that ultimately that's a win for audiences um because they're getting more access to the things that they're looking for um and uh, you know i think also for artists uh one of the things i've heard a lot of people talk about is the concept of sort of a an artistic middle class that's kind of emerging we have a lot of artists that are now um reaching audiences with streaming music, reaching audiences with the internet, and they can actually turn around and go tour without being restrained by, um, you know, did I get on radio or, it, it, I mean, super, super dated was do I have an MTV video or something yeah. like that. But you have a lot more artists now that are able to get a direct line to their audience uh, in ways that they weren't in the past. You guys mentioned the variety of shows that you bring through to the different sure. theaters. I, I think you guys must be uh, more of the unique talent bookers in the city, too, just from the venues that you have to offer. There's such a wide variety from the four, so I'd love to go through them. Uh, maybe start with you, Gary, with the PAP, since that's kind of where it started for you. Matt and I were very fortunate that when we came into our own and taking in taking over the PAPS theater, that our goal wasn't to sell tickets necessarily as a business as our focus. Our goal was to develop community. So that idea moved us towards, you know, the what we thought at that time was a lofty goal of getting like 5,000 people in our database so we'd have 5,000 e-members we could talk to. And, and now, uh, you know, 17 years later, we have 350,000 people in our database. We operate four venues. We send out 165 million emails a year. Um, you know, we host 650 plus shows a year in our venues, and it's really all on the backbone. A lot of it's on the backbone of the the change of how people use cities, the change of how people communicate. In our business, when we do a show at the Riverside, quite often around 29 to 30 percent of our buyers come from below the state line from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. You know, Milwaukee as a as a metro has 989,000 people. Chicago's northwest suburbs has 600,000 people alone. So we definitely consider them as a part of our metro market, especially when we when we sell and advertise things. Um, and I think that also puts us in the category of almost being, you know, like a bit of the Visit Milwaukee staff or the Convention Visitors Bureau. We're basically a modern Convention Visitors Bureau because we're inviting people from all around the country to come and see performances here. At the Riverside two weeks ago, we hosted Widespread Panic for three days. And we had people from 45 states coming to that show. Wow. So the contribution to the city is like north of $1.5 million in hotel expenditure, uh, car rental, restaurants, and things like that. Uh, so our business has evolved dramatically, beginning with the Pabst. And the Pabst, a national historic landmark built in 1895, really 
was at one time the center of the city and was kind of like the bell that rung that told people that the city was alive downtown. And I think if, you know, the takeaway that I have for Matt and I, that we own a business that only exists in Milwaukee and all of our business that, you know, as, as a for-profit company that exists in the city, I think our focus is quite often on trying to make the city better around us because, you know, if we do that, we should succeed as a business anyway. So the PAPS is where it all began. Yeah, not just bringing people to Milwaukee, but specifically the downtown area, too. Yep. It's pretty amazing to think about some of those numbers and the growth in what is really not that long a span. Matt, uh, what along the line kind of gave you guys a sense that Milwaukee was going to turn into this kind of an entertainment hub or destination as things grew and as things progressed? Well, I think certainly some of the early shows that we did with the Paps Theater, you know, we we looked at, um, you know, our model has always been about developing artists through the market. And we knew that um, it wasn't good enough just to say, okay, we got to shoot for a sellout every night. And so we started saying, okay, we need to find a way to develop artists in the market. And we developed this thing called um, 10 buck shows. And the idea was we were going to do a $10 ticket. We were going to try to curate um, things that we thought were developmentally interesting, that were moving in a good direction. We bought a curtain to uh, curtain off the upper areas of the PAPS. And then we started booking artists. We thought, hey, you know what? They're not ready for a big room like that, but maybe they deserve to play in a big room like that. Uh, you know, I think we found a really receptive audience there. And some of the artists that came out of that series, interestingly, were things like Bon Iver, as people know from Eau Claire, um, Fleet Foxes, which was a really successful indie rock band. I think Spoon played a 10 buck show with us. And, and more, a bunch of stuff like that that, that sort of unfurled into... And, and now, uh, we don't do the 10 buck shows anymore, but it, it has to do with the fact that I think we've realized it uh, in the form of venues where you look at Colectivo, which is a 300 capacity venue where I think a lot of those artists probably would have made their first entry yeah. into the market had that been around and try to build up through Turner Hall, Paps Theater, Riverside Theater, and beyond. Um, so I, I, amazingly, I feel like we thought at that time, hey, the city really wants this and needs it. And, you know, there were a lot of people saying, well, you can't do eclectic shows in say like Milwaukee um, because the audience isn't going to go for it. We definitely didn't believe that that was the case. I think it's fleshed out to be, yeah. obviously it wasn't the case. We had a good eclectic audience here. Certainly. And I think something else that, that maybe a novice would assume is that competition can be a bad thing, right? So if I serve forum opens just over a year ago, year and a half, maybe now, I think some people might think, oh, that's more competition for you guys, more people that might go somewhere else versus buying a ticket no, here. But apparently, I know, I, it sounds like not only the partnerships you guys have done with Jim Gaffney and things like that, but your ticket sales have gone up since that place mm-hmm. opened as well. So why is that such a collaboration as opposed to being something that, that maybe pulls apart? Well, I think one thing you should remember, I think that we think about this always in our business, is that like we're not a fully formed city yet where we can all hate each other and compete we have a lot of work to do yet to make a lot of things better in the city before we can be at each other's throats and try to kill (laughs) each other so you know i mean yeah i mean we would not have the democratic national convention were it not for fiserv so you know certainly you have to thank not only the bucks owners but herb cole for his wisdom in, in choosing the right people to sell the team to and then also the 
fathers of the state and the county and the city who agreed to give what was a significant contribution of their own to be able to get that built. There's a lot of money put in from a lot of people to get that building built. And I think that the Bucks owners and the team and the management have done very well to prove them right in their investment. But that we've, we have a long way to go because we're still on the way to being able to grow our brand as Milwaukee. And I think that, you know, I think for many, many years before we came to the city of Milwaukee, you know, Summerfest and the Rave uh, and probably Shank Hall did a, a good job of being the only ones who were really carrying the flag of entertainment coming to downtown Milwaukee. I mean, for many years, I mean, many of the shows that took place in the city, I mean, the Rave was the only big room where those shows happened at Eagles Ballroom. And they did a great job of, you know, bringing a lot of great talent to the city of Milwaukee. And, you know, and I think when we came into town and began with the Pabst and we were the new guys here, you know, and then we took over the Riverside and then we took over Turner Hall Ballroom. If you see any kind of a consistency there, the consistency is, is that the Paps was, you know, kind of ready to close and we took it over. It was this beautiful building. The Riverside was closed and we took it over. Turner Hall hadn't been open for 60 years when we took it over. And then the back room at Colectivo had never been used as a venue like that. So, I mean, I think that we've, we've kind of done a good job of being able to, uh, to take things that weren't necessarily succeeding or didn't exist and make them better. And we've been blessed with a lot of great buildings, but the reality is, is that we would not have had the chance to do it were it not for the fact that for all those years, you know, the people at the Rave and, and uh, uh, Summerfest and, and Shank Hall, for example, were all carrying, you know, forward the idea of any semblance at all of an entertainment community downtown. And now, you know, at the same time, now we're fortunate that the work that we've done for the last 17 years gets to be... Uh, joined by the Fiserv guys because yeah. they did a lot of great shows last year It brought a lot of excitement to the city a lot of people who never thought they'd come downtown I mean when we, when we moved here originally there were very few there were almost no new apartments downtown whatsoever I mean I, I, I do think that in many ways if you, were to talk to, if you were to talk to developers downtown I think that the entertainment community gets some credit for giving them the confidence to invest the millions of dollars to say yeah, I think people are going to spend $1,800 on a studio apartment downtown. Right, yeah. One of the ways that we know somebody is most likely to buy a concert ticket, even out past um, the genre of artists that they're talking about or whatever, one of the most likely factors is when was the last time they bought a ticket. And if they bought a concert ticket recently, uh, they're more likely to buy that next mm. ticket, uh, you know, in the proximity to that. And so, you know, I think as Gary is talking about anything that gets people into the muscle memory of saying, it's okay to buy a ticket. It's okay to, you know, come downtown, you can park, you can eat, you can do all that kind of stuff. That's good for us. That's a net positive for us. And, and I think that, um, if you look at Pfizer Forum or the other venues, whatever entertainment community here, you know, certainly there are going to be times where we're going after those same buyers. And, you know, look, if we have a show on the same, night of the week is a big sold out show across the street. Yeah, that, that might affect it in the short term, but I think in the long term, uh, we're all better off for getting people in the community into that muscle memory of, uh, enjoying entertainment downtown. 
Like it's well documented from our beginnings of 2002 that at the exact same time running parallel was the explosion of the service industry, not just in Milwaukee, but in every city. You know, you know, the cities where you were, you had the exact same thing happening. Every city you could point to, you got this huge explosion of amazing restaurants, you know, great coffee shops, great bars, places where people go to experience things. And I mean, frankly, when people come to Milwaukee, I don't think they ever take a picture of the Northwest Mutual building and go like, whoa, is that amazing? But they probably take a picture of their burger from Oscars or their brunch from Good Kind or some, or the amazing cocktail they get downtown or, you know, the, the you know, going out to one of the, the county parks to, you know, to have a beer. They take those photos and that that service industry world really began to explode right around the time that we came to the city. And we we both feed off of each other. We bring people to downtown. They go to restaurants and bars and coffee shops downtown. The restaurants, bars, and coffee shops are here. Therefore, people feel more comfortable coming to our shows as well. I think, I mean, I want to make sure during this conversation to give a special shout out to those guys because quite often they go really... I mean, it's not really something where people thank them or tell them what a great job they do. But honestly, if without those tremendous bars, coffee shops, and restaurants downtown, our employment in the city would be horrible at this point in time. You know, we live in an era and a time where places, large corporations like Manpower and Northwest Mutual basically shed jobs because that improves their bottom line. And a lot of people end up finding ways to find themselves back in the service industry. It's a huge opportunity and it's a huge problem that we have at the same time because it's a changing of revenues of where, you know, of how much money people have to spend yeah. on what it is they choose to do. But I think that the service industry in the city of Milwaukee is the maybe the number one reason why people choose to come to the city. I'd like to think it was us. That'd be cool, but it's not. I'd like to think it was Summerfest. I'm sure they'd like to think it was them or the Rave or a Fiserv. But the reality is, is that we are really driven by like the great experiences that we get in bars, coffee shops, and restaurants. So we're very fortunate as a city to have a lot of incredible entrepreneurs who are out there breaking the rules and doing incredible things that inspire people to go out and use the city. That's well said. I've certainly been impressed by the food scene since I've lived here just for a few short years. Uh, I'd be curious what your guys' relationship is like, having been partners and business partners for so long here uh, in an industry that has changed theaters that you've had to kind of build from the ground up. What is it about you two together that's been such a successful combination, you think? I think it's, I think it's really unique. I think I'm not saying that casually either because I've given some thought to this as well. We work a lot and we spend a lot of time together. We have uniquely different interests in our lives and things that we do, and, and we come from things at different spectrums. I have grandchildren. Matt has young children. So, uh, But we, we have a really positive relationship in that I think we've grown to respect and appreciate. I certainly do what Matt's talents are and, and uh, what his skill sets are the things that I can learn from him. And I think that if there's anything we have in common, it's that we're like the super thing we have in common is that we're both incredibly hungry to continue to learn and gain more experience and knowledge and to try to like be the best that we could be. And I don't feel like any day we've ever finished that job. And that always keeps us I mean at the end of the night we park in the same lot and we end up having a forty five minute conversation 
that makes us way later than we thought we would be. So something is there. <laughs> I'm sure the spouses kind of, appreciate that, right? It's kind of like being in a band, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like. No, don't say that, man. I, well, but I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing you see. I mean, well, I, I see. I, ended I, bad I look at well, but yeah, but I, I look at some of these. You know, I I look at the bands that come through, yeah. and the ones that that really have good careers or successful. Not everybody gets along, and you have these stories about people that are on two different tour buses or one thing or another but the ones that are really good like cohesive units like in general have that kind of relationship where you you go okay we're gonna go through some bad stuff and we're gonna go through some fun stuff and um you know we all understand that uh you know any kind of disagreements or tension is is part of the journey i'd love to hit um some of your guys favorites over the years running and seeing so many shows come Mm -hmm. through uh your different theaters maybe either a a musician or a band in general that that comes to mind not necessarily the best uh, you've ever seen but one of your favorite memories or or performances from any of the the theaters over the time there's a lot of memorable ones i just off the top of my mind i was thinking about when we first came um we were really privileged to have George Carlin play the past. And it was, I think, one of his last shows. Um, so, you know, and, and there's there's a long list of uh, artists and performers that are like that. You know, I, I mean, we did the last Allman Brothers show in Milwaukee. Um, you know, the flip side of that, you know, and talk about artists on the end of their career, you, you look at artists in the beginning of their career, and you look at somebody like Justin Vernon Bon Iver out of Eau Claire, where we started working with those guys at this very like embryonic level and um obviously now arena act amphitheater act and really doing it the right way yeah um so those have been to me just a few that are off the top of my head how about you gary how long is the podcast <laughs> hey I'll, <laughs> I'll go as long as you guys have we're on yeah. your time here <laughs> well i think it's kind of crazy because i you know i think there are many reasons why you have favorite moments. I mean, certainly at the Riverside, one of the defining moments at the Riverside was our Bell and Sebastian show where we did a $25 ticket Bell and Sebastian show where they had no, I mean, there was no 88.9 at that time. Uh, there was only uh, Bruce Winter at WWM playing a small little show late at night. He rarely ever played. So who would even know Bell and Sebastian? And people scoffed at us, you know, booking the show here and like, uh, that show selling out was pretty thrilling because that was really the beginning of the Riverside journey. I mean, certainly a lot of the beginning pap shows that Matt mentioned doing of the Bright Eyes show was, you know, was incredible. I mean, the My Morning Jacket shows here have been phenomenal. The first My Morning Jacket show was like life shatteringly beautiful. It was really incredible. Um, you know, the David Byrne shows have been because of his passion and real love for our buildings. Uh, have been, you know, he loved the Paps Theater and really chose himself to come and play there and, and chose then afterwards to continue playing with us. And the last David Byrne tour was was also, uh, it was redefining the potential of what you could do on stage. But I think that the greatest experience, I have to be honest, is that, you know, we've been doing this for 17 years and that we have, we're surrounded by a team of really passionate driven people and that is i think sometimes that's a i think that takes more work and is more skill than it is sometimes to book a show which sometimes can be a phone call away (laughs) or whatever but like you know i think i'm proud of the fact that we've built a team that we've often said that if we were a sports team i wouldn't want to play against us you know 
you guys have such a long history with Jim Gaffigan, so maybe that would be the answer. You mentioned George Carlin as well. Any of the comedians? Gaffigan's an amazing situation. And it's like some of those we talk about, some of those we just kind of are like, well, duh, you know, because Jim Gaffigan was somebody we had hosted for New Year's Eve for 10 years here. He has close Um, ties to Milwaukee with his wife. His wife is from Milwaukee. He's got, uh, you know, tons of family here. And so those shows really became, uh, I mean, truly like family affairs where we would have, and, and every year it was in the time where his kids were literally being born just about every year. It says five kids. And so, you know, there was a stretch there where it was like, it started with just his daughter, Mari. And then there was a new kid about every year, every other year. And, uh, we got to a point where we were on, you know, the day before New Year's Eve, we'd set up a Christmas tree and we'd do presents for the kids. And we'd do like, they all love like, you know, cops, burgers and custard and that kind of stuff. And uh, we brought Santa Claus one year. We brought stormtroopers down for the kids, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And and so it was like, that was really fulfilling in a weird way to see that family grow up and also see Jim's career uh, grow up. And, and I think that uh, you know, it's really ironic because a year ago, within the first month of Pfizer Forum, we said, okay, we're going to take, you know, this comedian who's been playing this 1,300-seat theater for 11 years at the Pabst, and let's try it out at Pfizer Forum. And so the huge show uh, in the round at Pfizer, and then the next year, it was like, yeah, let's do the Pabst again. So, I mean, we <laughs> he knows where literally, home is, yeah. yeah, really. I mean, the I, and and the five serve show was amazing, great sales, but it's just like, well, we just kind of want to do what we want to do with it, and yeah. always looking for fresh takes there. But um, that that uh, experience with Jim and his family and Jeannie and everybody has been. Uh, really fulfilling. Uh, I could do this forever. I'd love to ask you guys all sorts of things about the symphony shows and some of the other touring acts, but uh, you've been very kind with your time. I do have to selfishly fit in one question. I mentioned before that John Legend is my favorite artist. Mm. I'd love if there's any kind of behind-the-scenes story about some of the shows that he's done here for you guys as well. Well, yeah, I mean, our, our first show with John Legend was before, as we talked about, was before he was as popular at that time. I, I think we had around 900 people in the Riverside, yeah. which holds 2,400, so... We all lost a lot of money on that show. <laughs> but it, is, it, and, it uh, is a really good example of you talk about developing artists in a market. And, you know, on that night, I, you know, I mean, look, he puts on a great show. He put on a great show then. He still puts on a great show. But it's you can never um, write somebody off as, oh, that, that single night wasn't uh, successful in the way that I thought it was going to be successful because... Um, down the road, John Legend is this incredible example of that. Down the road, um, that time and you know investment in the artist uh, really does pay off long term. And John Legend is a perfect example. I was there. Matt and I were both there for that show, and he was down on the main floor in about the sixth row where he did like three songs standing on top of a chair while women all held on to his legs and <laughs> held him up. And it was it was pretty I, I remember the moment exactly. We've got some photographs of it as well. It was pretty it was pretty amazing. And he was really great, but it's all part of his career development and we've done really amazing sold out shows yep. with him since then. But they were they were really great shows and I think we only know one mode of what we do in supporting artists when they come to our venues, and that is that you know, again, we try our very, very best to be able to have 
Milwaukee be a place they'll always remember on their touring uh, calendar and they'll want to think about that the next time when they go on the road as well as their tour manager or their agent that they'll remember that was a really positive experience and that in a business that's become somewhat you know uh, factory like because of the larger promoters that exist in doing it that uh, you know that there still can be a passionate kind of an individual feel to a venue when you go to it and believe me they artists and tour managers and tour personnel and management and agents all really appreciate it it's really been a positive overall it's a great way to end it i certainly appreciate the time you guys have given me thank you all right thanks all right thanks see you at the show It is time now for the Fox Six Pack of Questions, a chance to get to know the voices and the faces that you see and hear on Fox Six every time, including at 10, 9 a.m., 9 to 10, weekdays, Real Milwaukee, Cassandra McShepard joining us. This is special. Thank you. Carl, it's a pleasure, and it's uh, special to me. I like that you said Six Pack. <laughs> Oh, um, you like that? Yeah, we came up with it. That was very cool. I'd like to think we're moderately clever, but <laughs> we try to be anyway. It was cool. Have yeah. you ever done a podcast before? Is this your... I have not. Ooh, we're breaking ground here. I, I know not. you love your audiobooks, so maybe we can get I, you into the I podcast do like my field too. And I'm certainly not afraid of a microphone. That is definitely the so case. Maybe we know that right about you. You might be <laughs> the most comfortable person we've interviewed for these. All right, let's get to it. Besides uh, the job, the chance to. Uh, talk about any and all manner of things on Real Milwaukee every day. What drew you to Milwaukee in the first place? I know this is home for you, but what drew you back? Um, I was born and raised here, as you said, and I honestly came back for an hiatus. Hmm. I was living on in the San Francisco Bay Area, had been there for 15 years, doing clothing designing for entertainers, and one of my main clients, uh, Phyllis Hyman, committed suicide. It was a real wake up and take stock of life moment. And I thought, where can I afford to wake up and take stock and do nothing else within a day? Milwaukee, (laughs) because it was home and my parents were still here. So that's why I thought I was coming back. I realized that my destiny was much richer broader and deeper than just a nap and taking stock. And you've stayed and set down some roots here as well. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you. Outside of uh, the work here at Real Milwaukee, home, of course, where are we most likely to find you around this great city? (laughs) At Walmart (laughs) and Woodman's and the dollar store. (laughs) And um, I I do do, um, uh, public events. I have... Uh, kind of been dubbed the M singer, like asked that. to MC and then sing the different uh, anthems. Hmm. Um, any stage that <laughs> anywhere there's a microphone, you'll find it, right? <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, no, but 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 other than that, I I, I don't do much. Hmm. Don't, don't, don't. Which I think that's enough. Yeah, it seems I, like you fill your days pretty well. I leave it at the desk at <laughs> that's Real Milwaukee. right. You Come give on. it all. 100%. What more do you want? <laughs> uh, well, you do, since you do get around a good amount. What and where was the last great meal you had? Where was this Ooh. and what was it? Oh, the chill. The chill, all the right. The chill in Thanesville. Ah, Now, of yes. course, one of the great things about working uh, at uh, Fox 6 And I pause because there are so many. (laughs) But one of the great things about working here is that we get to sample some of the city's best, period, across the board. Certainly best restaurants and whatnot. So I've had a lot 
of amazing food. But the chill was a unique food um, item, a shoot that Cramp invited mm-hmm. me to. And it was camel sliders. Now, I've been around for a minute or 10, <laughs> minute or 60. I have eaten a lot of things. Never, ever, ever would I have thought that I would be eating camel. Yeah, probably so didn't good. seek that out. But it, it was so good. Really? I could, you know what? As the drool was running down, it's like <laughs> I knew the camera was I couldn't even control myself. <laughs> like, oh, God, I'm on. But it was so, so good. So, yes, again, I've had great food. And the city is rich with wonderful restaurants. But that was pretty All special. right. There's a couple people uh, that have recommended that to me. So oh, I, mean, I need to make check. a trip to Thamesville. Yes, Add do. that to the list. Yes. All right. Since you do come uh, from an entertainment background, I'm curious about this. Who plays you in a movie? If we're doing the life story of Cassandra, who has the honor? Is Cassandra still living? Sure. Then I'm doing me. I love it. Nobody can do me like me. I mean, really, Carl, who's going to dress me? Who's going to do my face in wigs? Come on. <laughs> I got to do me. I got to do me. No. That, that is a first. No one has had I'm the audacity saying. to claim themselves as the, the best. I love it. I mean, really, who could do me? <laughs> who? One of a kind, that is for sure. Though I will give it some thought. Okay. <laughs> we can go back to that. Question number five here on the six-pack. Uh, what is a, a talent or skill that we should really know about? And I know you have a few of them. Uh, so do we go deep? Sure. Yeah. Because have... most people will think who, who are familiar with the show will know singing, will know especially your work with clothing, your, your abilities. I have a seamstress. passion for people. Hmm. And I have a real compassion for people when they're hurting. Um, I have a, um, a heart for can't do it. A lot of times when you're down and out, people say, oh, just suck it up or just do this or just do that. But there's an interim period that, that, uh, in, the, in the valley period, and, and, and I can meet you there and just be with you there and not – because you, you go through that period to come out on the other side. But you do it at your own pace. Hmm. And having been there myself and been told all number of things that I could not do in the minute, in the valley, I know how to just be with you in the valley. Sometimes and the most important thing for people. Yeah. It, 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 it blessed me when yeah. I was there. Well said. All right, our last question here. What is the most random job you've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> Secretary. Really? And girl couldn't type and couldn't spell. <laughs> Wait a second. How'd you get that job? <laughs> Well, okay. First of all, it was like, well, I think I was like 16, 17 or just able to get a job. Sure. I was living with my parents. Uh, I don't even, I guess I must have been coming from Custer High because that's where I graduated. And so I took the bus downtown in what is the planking, with the Grand Avenue Mall yeah. used to be the Plankington building. And I remember I, I went up the elevator and the further up we got into like corporate, and I'm an artist, <laughs> the less I could breathe. And so I went on this interview and they said, would it be difficult for you to get here? And I said, yes. And do you have typing skills? And I said, not very good. And all of the, and they hired you really, me. You anyway. really aced that interview. They hired, <laughs> so 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 my uh, my supervisor's name was Judy. I won't do the last name because sure. I didn't because I didn't jack the last name. <laughs> but I was typing her things out, which were laborious and long. I'm just, but I typed her name Juicy versus Judy. <laughs> what shouldn't she have checked it? Probably. <laughs> Probably assume that was the one thing she didn't have to My check. My God! There. But I honestly started. I have been self-employed since I was twelve years old. Wow! And uh, and and other than radio and now Fox, I have been on my own hustle. I realized um, I was six, uh, da, 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 eighteen when I applied for and did not get <laughs> uh, a job for the electric company, hmm. and I thought 
if I'm going to see if this designing thing will work, if I can't make my rent at that point was $160 for a uh, two bedroom flat. I know. And I thought if I can't make that, if I can't make it work within, I need to know that now. I didn't look back. So. So you've given us some juicy material here, uh, both on air and on this podcast. Thank you very much, Cassandra. Oh, all mine. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Definitely Milwaukee. And thank you once again to Gary Witt, Matt Berenger, and Cassandra McShepard for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Plus, a thank you to the person you don't hear behind the scenes, Sarah Smith, making it all happen from a production standpoint, along with our editor, Dave Machuda. If you want more Definitely Milwaukee or Open Record, the podcast we have here at the station with the Fox 6 investigators, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service and also leave us a rating and a review. You can also download any of the latest episodes anytime on fox6now.com. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader